0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. This next four weeks, we're going to start a new sermon series we're calling Pursue, and we're going to talk a lot about our relationships, our relationship with God, with each other, with ourselves, with the world, around us. And so to start off this new series, it's fitting to ask you the question, where do you belong? You know, we all want to belong somewhere. We all want to be known. We, we all want community. But where do we find it? And, and if we find it, what's it based on? You know, we live in a world obsessed with community. You don't have to be particularly religious or spiritual to be all about community. The whole world around us is. In fact, no matter what your interests are, what your hobby is, there is a community out there that someone has put together just for you. And, y'all, there's some really weird ones out there. In fact, I went online this week. I wanted to find some of these because I knew they were out there. Y'all, these are real, okay? I found the Association for Pet Obesity Prevention I've seen some of your pets. Some of you need to join this organization. There's the International Association of Youth Hypnotists. Sounds like a really bad idea for a bunch of kids to be running around hypnotizing people, but there's enough of them apparently. Here's one. The Obedient Wives Club. Formed in Malaysia in 2011, this women's only club was set up to teach wives how to be submissive to their husbands. It's an option. It's out there. I'm just saying. You know, a lot of these communities are filled with people that have never even met. They don't meet in person. They're all online. I found one of these online communities. It's called Birds with Arms. Made up of people who enjoy photoshopping arms onto birds. I brought some of their handiwork to show you. There's one masterpiece here hanging out at the beach. We've got another one, I think. This gunslinger here. What what all of these crazy organizations, communities tell us is what we already know about ourselves. That our desire is not primarily just to do things in isolation or just have some hobby in isolation or even just believe something in isolation. We want to belong. And so what we naturally do, what we tend to do, is just join along with all the people who are pursuing the same things we are. So we connect with the people most like us in the same stage of life, with the same interests and the same hobbies. Well, i got news for you, gang. You don't need Jesus to do that. You can take care of that all by yourself. Thank you very much. And every other philosophy, every other world religion is more than happy to help you with that. But Christianity is different. You know what makes Christianity different? Christianity, Christianity is different because it says where you belong ultimately is not a matter of what you pursue. It is a matter of who pursues you. And our passage this morning is going to tell us the person who pursues you, the person you belong to, is Jesus your brother. Let's turn in your Bibles or unlock your Bibles or turn on your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2, we're going to read verse 5 through 15. We'll read through the passage. It's kind of long, so stay tuned in, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Starting in verse 5, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? "...crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he may taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and the ones who are being sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying... rent to a group of urban Christians struggling with where they fit. And so they lived in a vibrant, busy city, full of people, full of activity, but they were increasingly finding themselves isolated. They kind of belonged to two cultures at once. They belonged uh, to the Roman culture and to the Jewish culture. And at first, when they first converted, man, maybe that was fine, no problem. But as Christianity grew and increased, Both of their communities were beginning to turn on them. So they were losing their standing. They were losing relationships. They were losing respect. They were losing jobs. And they're beginning to say, you know, things aren't quite working out the way that I thought or I hoped they would. They're beginning to say, as a follower of Jesus, but in this world, where do I belong? They're saying, you know, it feels like things are getting better, or things are getting worse, not better, since following Jesus. And, y'all, they were right. This was just the peak, the top, the tip of the iceberg of a much harsher, more violent persecution that was coming. And so the writer of Hebrews sits down to write to these people, to encourage them and to help them. And he essentially says, the solution for you is a DTR with Jesus. You know what a DTR is? You and a girl have been dating for a while, and it's time for the talk. You have to define the relationship. So the author is saying, if you want to have hope amidst trial, if you want to make sense of what's happening around you, if you want to know where you belong, you have to understand who Jesus is to you. And the answer is maybe not what I would have written, maybe not what you would have written, not what anyone would have written. He says, Jesus is our brother. No other religion in the world would dare make this claim. The eternal, the creator of the universe, Jesus, he's our brother. He, he became one of us. He says in verse 11, and y'all throughout this, there's a, there's a lot of pronouns, there's a lot of hymns, and so you got to figure out which hymn he's talking about. In verse 11, he says, all of us have one source. That one source is Adam. He's saying, he says the one doing the saving and the ones being saved are of the same kind. They have a common humanity through Adam. Y'all, he's saying that Jesus is essentially the opposite of Superman. What does Superman do? Well, normal daily life, he looks just like us. You know, coat, tie, he goes and works his new paper. He's got the nerd glasses. He's doing his thing. But when it's saving time, man, we bust out the cape. We got the outfit. We're flying through the air. So if you ever found yourself saved by Superman, yes, you would be thankful. But you would also know he is very different from you. You know, you you and he y'all y'all could never be in the same club. You and know y'all are of a different kind. You can't be in the same family, and certainly you cannot be brothers. Jesus did the exact opposite when he was save, when it was saving time, and he didn't put on the cape faster than a speeding bullet. He put on humanity, and he came as a baby in a manger. That's why he said in verse 12, he's quoting Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm. Jesus said the first words of this psalm from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so this is a psalm that Jesus is speaking. And so he says, Jesus says, I'm going to pr- proclaim God's name to who? To my little underlings? To my little ants I'm about to squish? No, to my brothers. I'm going to proclaim God's name to my brothers. So if Jesus is our brother, the next thing we have to find out, what kind of brother is he? Maybe many of you in this room have brothers. I have a brother. Man, there's some ways I do not want God being like my brother, okay? He tells us four things about Jesus, our brother. First, he says that Jesus is our brother who's proud. He's proud of us. Verse 11, he says, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. We aren't just the black sheep. He doesn't reluctantly say, yeah. I'm related to him. I'm with stupid over here. No. He says he's proud of us. And you know why he's proud of us? Not because of anything we do. Simply because we're in his family. And don't miss what a big thing this is. You know, today you and I, if we wanted to apply for a job, what would we do? Well, We'd put together a resume. What's going to be on that resume? Well, the things that kind of will commend us and make us look good to the people hiring. And that's going to be usually our accomplishments, what we've done. And so we put on there... You know, from this time to this time, I worked here, and here's all the great things I did. And then here's all the other great things I did. And then I went here, and, and here's the great things that I did. That's not how they wrote resumes in the ancient world. In the ancient world, they understood that the most shaping thing about a person is often their family. And so if you wanted to recommend yourself, if you wanted to put together a resume, it wasn't filled with all the things you'd done. It was filled with who your family is. Your resume was essentially your genealogy. Your family tree. You would say, this was my father, and this was my grandfather, and these are my brothers and sisters. Men and women, this is what Jesus is saying of you. He's putting you on his resume. Doesn't matter what you've done, or not done for that matter. Jesus says, that's my brother, that's my sister, and I'm proud to both. He's essentially saying, I'm going to tell of the most important thing I know to the most important people that I know. He's our brother who's proud of us. Then he tells us that Jesus is our brother who cleans up our mess. In verse 5 through 8, he's quoting Psalm 8. And Psalm 8, y'all, is essentially our relational history with God. It's the story of us, okay? And it's recounting really Genesis 1 through 3, the story of creation. And so he says in verse 7 through 8 that God put everything in subjection to him. That him is humanity, us, you and me. So he created everything, put everything in subjection to us. He placed us above all the rest of creation. It says only a little lower than the angels. And so that's why it says when you go read the beginning of Genesis, God gets done creating and he tells us, hey, fill the earth. Subdue it. Name it. This word subjection, it means that God gave us complete supremacy. All of creation is under our jurisdiction now. And so we can name it, we can cultivate it, we can create within it, and it's ours to care for. And you know, back in the garden, back when God first created, all of nature cooperated with that. Each part of creation followed the script that God had written out exactly to bring peace, justice, righteousness, and prosperity. It all worked together. But he says in verse 8 that in doing this, God left nothing outside of his control. So the picture here isn't, you know, God signed over the title to us, gave it to us, and walked away. He didn't sell it off and step out. He didn't just transfer ownership. What God did, y'all, is he said, this is yours for me. And so we had a submissive sovereignty. We have authority, but it's under his dominion. And y'all, while we were in that divine order, we were in perfect relationship with God, with others, and with all of creation. He says in verse 8, and this is the mother of all understatements, he says, well, but at present we do not fully see everything in subjection. He's saying, is this, is this what you see when you look at your front door? Everything in, in God's perfect divine order and perfect relationship? Well, yeah, they didn't either. They were losing jobs and property. They were being persecuted, arrested. They were experiencing sickness, Divorce, natural disasters, loneliness, isolation, misunderstood. Why is that? How did we get here? Well, Genesis 3, sin. We did the one thing God told us not to. Now, why on earth would we do that? Well, it's because we wanted authority, but not under His sovereignty. We wanted to be our own God's. So, you know, when the devil came up and said, hey, listen, guys, you can do whatever you want, and the only price is a broken relationship with God, we took that deal and we set our money on the table. But there's something we didn't count on necessarily. See, in losing his authority, we broke all of our relationships. When we walked out on the one we belong to, every relationship we have, spun out of control. So you want to know why it's hard to find community? Here it is. Sin. Our relationships are broken. Our relationship with God is broken. It made us his enemy. It put us in constant competition with him for who's going to be boss. Our relationship with one another is broken. (laughs) And this one's so obvious. It's it hardly needs illustrating. Does anyone here not have a broken relationship somewhere in their life? Broken marriages, broken families, tension, friction, disagreement in our relationships and at work and at church and in our neighbors. Y'all, even our relationship with nature is broken. Nature no longer cooperates with our dominion. Just cite The past couple weeks, the headlines of the California wildfires. G.K. Chesterton summarized Psalm 8 well. He says, Whatever else is or is not true, this one thing is certain. Man is not what he was meant to be. Instead of having mastery, he's mastered. Instead of ruling, he's enslaved. Instead of being characterized by strength, he is characterized by great weakness. Instead of being characterized by glory, he is characterized by shame. Men and women, we have lost our dominion and all of our relationships have spun out of control. And this is where Jesus, our brother, steps in. He cleans up our mess. He says in verse 9, so in verse 8 he says, we don't see this when we look out the front door, but in verse 9 he says, we see him, we see Jesus. And he uses the same language from Psalm 8 and now applies it to him. It's the exact same language he used to describe us. He was made a little lower than the angels. He was crowned with glory and honor. What essentially he's saying is, hey, we made a mess of what God gave us. But as our brother, Jesus was the perfect man, and he stepped in and did what we failed to do. And think about it. He certainly showed mastery over nature. The guy walked on water. He calmed storms. He certainly submitted to the will of the Father and did not rebel against it even to the point of death. And he says, the Bible says, when he returns, he will make all things right. He will restore and redeem every broken relationship because he will restore that divine order. He will clean up our mess. That's why in verse 10, he calls Jesus the founder of our salvation. That word founder is a rich, rich, packed with meaning word. It's hard to translate with just one word. So some versions may say founder. Some of your versions may say author. One way to think about this is like a pioneer. He's the pioneer of our faith. What's a pioneer? Well, a pioneer is one who goes first. He's the first one, but he goes first in order to open the way for others to follow. So you may think of Lewis and Clark, you know, back when our civilization had only made it to the Mississippi. And we wanted to go all the way to the Pacific, but we didn't know how to get there. So Lewis and Clark, they went first. Why? In order that others may follow along. So he's saying here when when you belong to Jesus, he cleans up the mess we all made and he blazes a trail of restoration, a trail for us to follow. So he's our brother who's proud of us, he's our brother who cleans up our mess. And he's our brother who fights for us. Now, y'all, I had a big brother. And I had plenty of bumps and bruises from my big brother. He did, he did his job as an older brother, no problem. But you know what would happen if anyone else ever tried to come pick on me? If anyone else ever tried to come push me around, even if it was his best friend, uh-uh. Hey, I can mess with my little brother, but nobody else is going to. And we have a Jesus who fights for us like that. Because we all have someone who's out to get us, it's death. Verse fifteen says this: fear of death subjects, you, subjects us to a lifetime of slavery, and y'all, we don't like to admit it, we don't like to acknowledge it. But y'all, this is this is a message more prevalent throughout the scriptures than just about anything else. And almost every book of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, almost every genre, it repeats the same message over and over and over again. You're going to die. And yet, you know, I've been in a lot of your homes. I've never been in a living room that has any one of those hundreds of verses, like on pallet wood, painted in fancy cursive letters, displayed on the wall. You know, your life is a vapor. You're going to die. We don't like those verses. Man, we fight. We fight against it. We fight against it by trying really hard to matter. So we think, man, if I'm this important or this loved or this prosperous, this safe and secure, this healthy, surely I can fend off death. We want to be known. We want to be remembered. We want to live. But death says, I'm coming for you, and you are powerless to stop me. It's the one thing we all have in common. But our brother Jesus fights for us. In verse 14, it says he destroyed death. How? Well, it says by going through death, he destroyed death. Verse verse 9 says he tasted death. That means he took it in. He experienced it. In the same way, if I'm cooking something, I hand you a spoon, I say, here, try this. Man, and you take a big gulp. That's what Jesus did. He experienced death. And this passage it says that that death, it did something. It accomplished something. Verse 17, it says, Jesus, through his death, became our propitiation. See, the reason we are all enslaved to death is because that's what we deserve. That's the penalty, rightly due all of our sins. But Jesus being the propitiation means he was the substitute payment. He paid the debt so that we no longer have to. But then he did something else. He resurrected he still lives. He lived again. So the way this passage puts it, it says he he went into death and then went through it. This passage is saying Jesus essentially did a Kool-Aid man through death. Y'all remember the Kool-Aid man? Oh yeah. Bust through that big brick wall with some Kool-Aid. This is us. We're, man, we are behind this brick wall of death and can't get out. And Jesus busted right through it and rose again. Remember, he's the pioneer. He's the one that goes first so others can follow. So men and women, because Jesus, our brother, fought off death, here's what that means for you. If you were a child of God, you were on a journey, not to death, but through death to glory. That's why he says in Verse 10, he accomplished this amazing salvation for us. He says in verse 10 that through the suffering of death, he brought many sons to glory. And this would have shocked the Jewish readers because to the Jewish readers, God's glory was something only God could experience, only something God could partake in. And so maybe I could make God's glory known in the world around me. I could kind of be God's spokesman, but I could never belong to him. I could never be part of his family. I could never be a son of glory but because Jesus fights for us, you can. So he's our brother who's proud of us. He's our brother who cleans up our mess. He's our brother who fights for us. And finally, he's our brother who knows us. And this is maybe the most surprising of all. You know, this passage reminds us six times that Jesus suffered. Six times. Must be important. He says in verse 14 that Jesus partook of all the same things we do. It says in verse 17 that He was made like us in every way. That means men and women, there's nothing you have experienced that he hasn't. And think about it. Have you ever felt betrayed, misunderstood? Jesus entered Jerusalem on a Sunday to a pep rally. I mean, it was like the American Idols when they go home episode, right? Jesus is coming home, everybody cheer his name, there's a parade, there's palm leaves. They can't, they are so excited about Jesus, and by Thursday, they are beating the life out of him. And that same crowd is demanding his murder. Have you ever felt isolated? Lonely? Well, y'all, right before all this suffering started, Jesus' closest friends decided to take a nap. And then when he was arrested and they started to beat him, they couldn't even own up to ever knowing the guy. Never met him. Don't know who that is. You ever felt ignored by God in the midst of trials and sufferings? Listen, Jesus, in the the moment of his anguish, he begged, he pleaded with, with God, please let this cup pass from me. And the answer came back, no. Have you ever struggled with overwhelming temptation? Verse 18 tells us he was tempted in every way. Listen, no one understands temptation better than Jesus Go back and read Matthew 4. Y'all, the devil himself showed up in person and promised him the entire world and all you have to do is not suffer a terrible death. That is next level temptation, guys. I've been tempted in a lot of ways. I've never had the devil show up in person and promise me the whole world. What the author is trying to help us understand is that he entered into all of it. Whatever you've been through, He has been through it and more. You know what this means? This means you can trust Him. This means you can rely on Him. This means you can belong to Him. Isn't that exactly what we need? You know, if you've ever been through a, a life-altering event in the middle of that someone may have come and sat next to you in your home or in the hospital or the funeral home or the prison or, or wherever it was, and That person may have been well-meaning and loved you very much and done everything they could for you. But there's a big difference between that person and the person who can come sit next to you and say, I know. And they know because they've been there too. You know, that, that I know we can trust. That I know, I mean, it's hard to understand exactly why, but that I know is healing because it means we are not alone in our darkest moment, Jesus, our brother, sits next to us and says, I know. I know. And he does. See, y'all, Jesus is a lot of things. He's our God. He's creator. He is eternal. But the thing that helps us belong to him, really be known by him, is that he is our brother, He's our brother who's proud of us, our brother who cleans up our mess, our brother who fights for us, and he's our brother who knows us. And that presents each person here with a couple very important decisions to make. You have to decide, and these decisions will set the trajectory of your life. The first thing you have to decide is you have to decide what relationship will define you. Where do you belong? Who's your squad going to be? Are you going to belong mostly to the people who value your accomplishments and what you do for them? Are you going to belong to people who act, look, think the most like you? are you going to belong to the people who do the most for you, who play the role that you want them to play in your life? There's a thousand ways we can apply this passage. And if you think of another one, go for it. But here's one. Here's one you can do. One way we can apply this passage. Name the relationship that has taken God's place in your life. What's the one that matters more than Jesus being your brother and your God? Y'all, sometimes it's a specific relationship. My boss or my colleagues, as long as I have their respect or if I can just get it. Maybe it's a spouse in a marriage, whether it's a great marriage or a marriage in turmoil. Man, if we can figure that out, then then I can be good. Or maybe it's a some men at church or some women at church. If I can just get in that right group and that right click and, and stop feeling like an outsider. It's that relationship where we say, man, if... If, I, if that relationship, if it, if it were just all that I want it to be, then I would know where I belong. You know, sometimes it's vague. You know, sometimes it's like, I just, I just want to be known more. I just want to be respected more. I, I just want to be loved more. And it's kind of like, any takers? Yeah, I can learn to put arms on birds. Sure. Right? I'll learn to do that, and then I'll have a community. I'll know where I belong. So decide what relationship will define you. Here's the second decision you have to make. Decide what example you will follow. And both these decisions are related. You can't make one without the other. And here's why. Because where you belong determines how you live. The relationships we decide are most important. We start taking our cues on how we should live from those relationships. So if you belong to Jesus, are you following his example? Are you willing to suffer? You know, this one's hard for us. It's hard for us because we live in a culture of fixes and options. So whatever ailment I have, whatever's wrong with me, man, there is something that can fix it. There's a, something I can buy or a drug I can take or an oil or a book or a podcast that I, that I can listen to that will tell me how to fix it. You know what? And if I don't like where I am, I've got options. Whether it's restaurants, churches, people, channels on the TV. Man, if I don't like this, I've got plenty of options. I can shop around. In a culture like that, suffering becomes simply a problem to fix. You have to be so careful because that is a core tenet of the prosperity gospel and it is a lie. Verse 10 says it was fitting for Jesus to suffer. He's saying it was an integral part of God's perfect plan. It wasn't by accident. It had to be done. It wasn't something to be avoided. It was something God was using for His purpose in His divine order. So because you belong to Jesus, are you willing to suffer for God's glory like He did? Will you take on blame and loneliness and sacrifice temporarily because you are trusting in the coming glory of God's kingdom? That's how Jesus lived. Here's another one. Are you willing to get involved with messy people who are broken and hurting and may hurt you. You know, Jesus didn't stay far off and boom down from the heavens. No, He came near. He came close. Even though He knew we wouldn't receive Him, even though He knew it meant suffering. You know, are you just going to spend your whole life looking for people who are easy, who will do the most for you? Again, you don't need Jesus in your life for that. Or since Jesus fought death for you and tasted suffering for you, are you willing to enter into the lives of messy people? Are you willing to use your life to glorify God? Remember, we took the dominion God gave us. Man, we rebelled against it. But Jesus stayed perfectly submitted to the Father's will. So are you willing to take whatever opportunity you have, wherever God has put you in his life, and use it to bear fruit? Use it so that his glory is seen. And not when this or that happens, not when all the stars line, not just when I'm successful. Listen, anybody can praise God after they score a touchdown. Praise Him while you're on the bench, praise Him in the medical tent. Right now is where it starts. Your life matters now. You are a son of glory now. Or are you gonna spend your whole life with it just being about you? You know, your authority, under your dominion, used for your Listen, if that's your plan, all of humanity has been trying that plan for a few thousand years. It's time for a Dr. Phil moment. How's that working for you? It's not working. We need to get back in his divine order. So what's one thing? What's one thing you need to change in your life to follow Jesus' example? Maybe it's a person you need to pursue. Maybe it's a suffering that you can use for his glory and his plan Maybe there's somewhere in your life that you need to resubmit yourself to His authority and make it about Him, not about you. Men and women, where you belong determines what you do. Man, imagine a church that said, you know what? The most important thing about us is that we belong to Him and then lived out that example. We can be that kind of place. Let's pray and ask for God's help in doing so. Lord, you are the one who was...